No doubt, man. It's the it's what it does for other people. Uh, I'm I'm stunned. You know, it's 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 letters, posts, all these things of you know. I had the gun in my mouth. Wow. I heard the threats. You know that kind of stuff. You just go, thank you, God. You know, because I never ever felt like it was worth anything. What makes the journey worth it? The pain, the adversity, the opposition, the challenges, the uncertainty. Why do I have to go through this? What's the lesson in this? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. The million dollar question I get every single day is you wouldn't change what happened to you, why? Serendipity, join us for insightful dialogues about not just successes, but about failures, opposition, adversities that shape and mold the individuals to who they are today. I'm Inky Johnson. This is Serendipity. Hey guys, welcome to Serendipity with Inky Johnson. Today's guest, uh, he's a husband, he's a father, one of the best-selling music artists in the world. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's an awesome human being, Garth Brooks. Garth, how you doing, my friend? Doing better than I deserve. How about you? How's your new year looking so far? (laughs) Doing great. Doing great, man. As you know, I'm big on gratitude, and so... I just want to say thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate it. You sent me something uh, last year that said, when you divine gratitude, it says gratitude, gratitude turns whatever you have into enough. Absolutely. You sent me that. I have used that. I mean, I have used that more than blame it all on my roots. Trust me, I, <laughs> I have, I've used the dog out of that. <laughs> That's awesome. And so um, just to tell you a little bit why I started this platform, Garth, I firmly believe just in terms of just us as people, when we go throughout life, our journeys, opposition, adversity, we waste a lot of experiences and things that we go through. I think you and I both know we've spent some time together. They make us who we are. And so that's where the serendipity uh, comes from. And so I'll never forget when I first had the chance to meet you. And I bragged to my wife about it. I'll never forget, you were doing things with your Teammates for Kids Foundation at the University of Tennessee. And your guy said, hey, man, Garth is going to stop by and pick you up. Right? He's going to stop by and pick you up. You guys are going to go over to the building together. And I was standing out front, and I was waiting on like this tour bus to pull up. Right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I'm nervous. Right? And you guys pull up in the truck, and I get in, and I'm like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And we go over, and we serve. And so I want to ask you a question in terms of the Teammates for Kids uh, Foundation. What started you doing that, Gar? Uh, what started for me was um, the death of Roberto Clemente hmm. when I was a kid. Loved him. He was my hero. Uh, when he died and I, when I learned how he died serving kids, I made him a promise that someday if I ever had the, the, the wherewithal or the means to do so, hmm. we'd start a children's charity. And uh, sure enough, uh, my opportunity came in the late 90s. Met a guy named Bo Mitchell, a reformed minister um, out of Colorado that uh, sent me out to the Padres Mm. uh, to talk about baseball and launch a foundation where baseball players would make a donation for every home run, every strikeout. Then as our foundation, we would triple it. Started out with, um, with a handful of baseball players that year and then eventually got to every team in the major leagues. Then it went to hockey, NFL, now all sports, and now we're lucky enough to be associated with over 4,500 of uh, the world's greatest athletes. And the bottom line with these people is they just, they're God-gifted athletes 
men and women mm-hmm. who just love doing what they do. And at the same time, they're turning in what they do into dollars for kids. So it's, it's a pretty cool team to belong to. Absolutely. Speaking of athletes, of course, when I left you that day, I went and did my research. I went all the way back to UConn, Oklahoma days, and I found out about you as an athlete, man, and track and field and going to Oklahoma State and throwing a javelin, right? Like, what was that experience like when you got to Oklahoma State, you know, and being on a track and field team on the scholarship? Well, it was one, it was instant family, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, My brother was there too, my older brother. He's the one that got me the scholarship, so I kind of was protected. Um, so that's kind of the great thing about being the last of six. Mm-hmm. But what I love too was I came from, uh, I came from an all white town mm-hmm. in the middle of Oklahoma, just a farm town. And you're running track and field in college. You can bet that the white guys are going to be the minority, you know, <laughs> on, on the team all of a sudden. So, uh, most of the field guys at that point, uh, were white, uh, in the conference, mm-hmm. uh, but all the sprinters, everybody. And then here come the distance guys that, that uh, were from the UK, you know, uh, uh, way across the water. So all of a sudden, a guy that had no, no uh, contact or any kind of um, relationships with anybody other than just a bunch of farm guys, now gets thrown into the middle of all these different attitudes, these different um, accents, all the stuff. And uh, it was cool because they're your teammates, so you love them, you take them in, uh, and at the same time, you face your own prejudices that's either brought in from your family or, or from yourself. And you start dealing with that at that point. And that's, that's what I loved about it was being part of a team because, you know, when you're part of something that's greater than you can ever be by yourself, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I want to be. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, when I saw that, I wanted to know how did you get from that point to where you are now? Because a lot of times I remember when I was young and I would meet people and when you meet somebody, you think where they are and where you meet them is where they've always been. And so I'm doing my research and I watch when you say you came home, right? I was watching your documentary. You say you and your dad was going to the store and music came on the radio, George Strait. And you knew, you say you knew right then. Can you yeah. explain a little bit about that moment when you heard George Strait on the radio? Yeah, man, I, I think as a kid, you always think you're going to be something and and like, I'm married to one of the greatest singers on this planet ever. And she knew when she was five years old that Mm. she was going to be a singer. Me, I was going to be a professional athlete. And the only thing, the little minute thing that kept me from being a professional athlete was my athletic ability. That was the only (laughs) thing, right? (laughs) So it starts to sink into your college that that's not going to happen. And uh, you're kind of looking for that other thing. And when I heard George Strait, I went, holy cow, that's what I want to do. I love music. Mm. The last six kids, so lots of music in the house. Dad played guitar. Mom actually, you know, uh, was signed to Capitol Records in the 50s. So it, the dream had always kind of been in our house. So it didn't seem impossible at the time. So when I heard George Strait, that's when I realized what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And Inc., I got to tell you, I've been lucky to do some pretty cool things. But I would be lying if I told you every morning when I woke up. I no longer want to be George Strait. That would be a lie every day. Mm. I still want to be. And there's just something about him that's going to be forever cool for me. Wow. That's incredible. I heard you mention your mom. And, you know, one of the things that that we have in common, like when I saw you speak about your mom and, you know, how talented she was and how good she could sing, you know, one of the things you said that resonated a lot with me 
You talked about, you know, being in a household, six of you all, and how your mom had this dream she could sing and then she sacrificed for the kids. And me growing yeah. up, you know, I felt like my mom had me young and she had dreams to become a nurse, but she started working at Wendy's, you know, just so she could take care of me. And I carried that with me and everything I did. And I saw people talking about how talented you were singing in Stillwater, right? And you're doing your thing. And then you go to Nashville, right? And that story about when you went to Nashville and what you experienced that puts yeah. you back on the highway back to Oklahoma. Can you elaborate a little bit about that moment? Yeah, but I think we all dream what it's going to be. I'm sure you probably had dreams of what, you know, football was going to be once you went from high school to college. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all have dreams that. You know, Nashville is a town where money grows on trees. You go up, you just sing. Somebody goes, son, here's a million dollars. Go build your folks a home. Come back, we'll make some records. <laughs> and man, it just doesn't happen that way. And you kind of grow up in the creative part of it. So all the cool bands around your local place and everybody has dreams of going to the big show, mm -hmm. but nobody ever talks about the big show being suit and ties mm. ever. And so you get here and you realize, oh, crap, stuff I never even knew about multiple levels of insurance, multiple levels of red tape, multiple levels of this and that relationships. And you're new here. So you just realize like anything else, if you're going to get into anything, it's that's one thing that no matter what you want to get into, the one thing that is consistent, it's going to take a lot of damn work. That's what mm -hmm. it's going to do. Absolutely. I love, um, I love when you said, when you went back and you hit out for a little bit, and you yeah. saw one of your buddies. I love this, man. You say you saw one of your buddies and he asked you, hey, man, what's up? I thought you were in Nashville. And you were like, I came back. And you were like, he didn't ask me, hey, man, where's my money? Right. Hey, man, this and that. You said he looked at you and he asked you, hey, man, are you going back? And you were like, yeah, yeah I'm going back. <laughs> you, you know that college town. You know that small family, no matter where your town is. One of the blessings and the curse for Stillwater, Oklahoma is it's out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Well, the blessing is it's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so you're kind of stuck together, right? Mm -hmm. So these people, these people raised money, took tips, had fun drives, everything to send me to Nashville to be a big star. And I was back home within a week hiding out at my parents' house because I was too embarrassed to go anywhere. And then once I did show back up in Stillwater, I'll be damned if I didn't run into two or three of those people right <laughs> when I got there. And that's what happens. Instead of them going, hey, dude, you know, I thought you were going to be some big. They just kept going. You're going back, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And then, and even though the answer might have been, hell no, I'm not going back <laughs> to time. The answer out of my mouth was, yeah, I'm going to go back. <laughs> and I think after a year of year or two of just grinding it with honky tonks with a band called Santa Fe. Um, I think all of a sudden you've got the courage and the strength to go, you know what? I know what that town needs. I've been working on it uh, or what that town requires from you. I've been working on it. Let's go back. Hmm. Darth, what's the most rewarding part about what you get to do in your career? Oh, no doubt, man. It's the, it's what it does for other people. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm stunned. You know, it's, it's, it's letters, posts, all these things of, you know, I had the gun in my mouth. Wow. I heard the ants, you know, that kind of stuff. You just go, thank you, God, you know, because I never, ever felt like it was worth anything. Hmm. You know, we read, we read the Bible and you read all these guys and, and man, what they went through. 
just to show their love for one another and show their love for Christ. And I'm going, I've never done that in my life. I've never, I've never ever even got close to being that hurt or that hungry or whatever. And then to hear something cool that you had a part to do with hmm. is, is what is so sweet and so rewarding here. If I really thought, though, that it was Garth Brooks, I'd, I'd be all alone and none of this would happen. So these are all results of all the people being in the right place at the right time and mm. something good coming up. Absolutely. So, Garth, I, I ask people this question often. If you could speak back to your younger self, right, when you first started in your career, got on the road, doing your thing, um, what's some words, what's some insight that you would offer the younger Garth Brooks earlier in your career? Whew. It's tough. Um, it's tough because, you know, Inca, sorry, man, I don't have a short answer for anything. Oh, no, you, man, you know, I love, I love you. You're organic. I love it, man. You know, Miss Yearwood and I, we talk about all the time, you know, this is the love of my life. And I knew her here. I mean, let me see if you can even see this. This is my, this is my phone thing. This is 1987. Wow. Okay? 1987. This is me and her. Wow. Right. Yeah. So my thought is if we'd have got married then, mm. well, then our three daughters would be our three daughters and, and our lives, we'd be celebrating over 30 years of marriage and, you know, all the, all the good things. But then you think, no, uh, one, our daughters are perfect. They got just the right amount of their mom in them. Mm. Uh, you know, they got just the right amount of Sandy in them. They got just the right amount of my nagging in them. <laughs> and, uh, they've got just the right amount of the coaching and the love that Miss Sherwood as a bonus mom brought to them since they were infants. Mm. So I wouldn't change anything like that. And, and also man, to be totally honest, I don't think our careers would have been what they were if we were married. And I'm not sure our marriage would have survived the nineties, mm. you know, with as much as we were, we'd be in different places all the time. So I think things work out for a reason. So when you go back and you go, what would you tell yourself? I'm not sure I'd tell myself or change anything if it meant that where I'm at right now would change in the least little way. Cause we're, where we're at right now. Thank God is perfect. That's awesome, man. That's so great. Like I always think back and as you know, Garf, a lot of people ask me all the time, like in terms of my injury and you know, it's hard for people to understand like, man, you wouldn't change that. You wouldn't do anything different. And I'm like, no, like that's the serendipity. I firmly believe it shaped and molded me into the man, the father, the husband, the servant, the leader, the friend that I've grown to be. And so with all that's going on in the world, Garf, with the pandemic, you know, with the current climate of the world, with the things that people are going through, you know, opposition, adversity. If there were some words or some insight, you know, as we come to a close that you could give to people, if there's a mantra that you live by every single day, if there's something that you often think about or refer back to that gets you going when you have some of those dog days, uh, what would it be? Well, first of all, before I answer that, let's let's deal with Inky Johnson. I think if the injury had never happened to Inky Johnson, you'd still be the man you are today. The mm. father, you'd still do all that. I think football, yeah. uh, the game of football would be at a higher level simply mm. because what you would have contributed to it at that level. So as much as I appreciate your humbleness, I think you're one of the rare ones 
And there's only been a handful in, in, in mankind's existence that can handle all that and still be the guy you would be. Cause you can just tell when you talk to you that your blessing and curse hmm. is that you're stubborn. <laughs> you know, you're going to be that guy no matter what. <laughs> what what I love about you is is the thing I never could get above was it doesn't matter who you're around, you're serving you're serving a higher power. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of us that throw away things because the 14 people we're surrounded with never got there, and they we kind of all want to be alike. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. You would not throw it away. You'd do it and still be like those 14 people because that's just, that's just who you are. You're strong enough to do that. Thank so you. when I, when I get a pulpit or get to talk to people, I, I think the main thing that I want to say to all of us is, is um, we do a sunrise ride once a year, me and a, a guy named Brian Kennedy, which is nicknamed big Chuck. And a guy named Dan Roberts, which his nickname's Rodeo. And we do a sunrise rise, just us three. And we go out one morning and we watch the sun come up. And I'm sitting there. This is late 90s. I'm in the middle of these two guys on horseback. And Rodeo looks at me and goes, Garth, you know the difference between grace and mercy? I said, no, Chuck smiles. It says, grace is when God gives you something you don't deserve. Mm. And mercy is when God doesn't give you something you do deserve. Hmm. That right there, man, if if we can't look at someone else who's just made a mistake, Hmm. someone else who's just embarrassed themselves and not sit there and go, shit, that could be me or that was me last week and not feel for them. Hmm. If we can't look at somebody that doesn't believe like we do, if you're gay, straight, religious, you know, red, blue, black, white, whatever. If you can't look at them and go, shit, they're just like me. They're scared to death and just trying to make the best decisions they can make for them and their family. Mm. While at the whole time with the Internet now doing it publicly, Mm. if you can't find empathy for that and you can't hesitate that second before you comment, Mm. then I would just suggest that's what you work on. Because that that little hesitation before you post or that little hesitation before your mouth works sometimes makes all the difference in not only your life, but the people you're talking to. That's strong, man. And I firmly believe that. Like I always say to people, I firmly believe regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of where we come from, we're more light than we are different. And so, mm-hmm. my friend, I just want to say thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you for your insight, man. Thank you for your wisdom. Most importantly, thank you for being real. I greatly yeah. appreciate that. So. It's very sweet, man. I it's, it, I got to tell you, the greatest gift you can give somebody is be a hero. But mm-hmm. heroes are always older than you are because you grew up on them. Mm-hmm. You are my hero. You're a lot younger than me, but I tell you what, if I could sell, tell something to my younger self, it'd be more be more like Inky had that <laughs> I love you, man. Keep leading all of us. I, you're heading in the right direction. And I'm, I'm so proud to be a follower and so proud to walk beside you. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Love Thank you, you for your time, Thank you. Gar. Bless you, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you.